Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast here on the Footy Talks Network. You are listening to the inaugural episode of the La Liga show. My name is Mitchell Tierney. I'll be your host and I'll be joined by a rotating cast of co-hosts who will all bring different points of expertise about the Spanish league through a Canadian lens. And what a time it is to start this show. La Liga Santander has had quite a wild start to the 2018-19 season. We will look back at match day 8, talk about Real Madrid's early season struggles, and the incredibly competitive table. To talk about all that with me is my inaugural guest host on the show, Carlos Verdi. Carlos, thank you for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mitchell. Always happy to talk uh, Spanish soccer. I mean, it's a it's a passion of mine. It's a passion of my family's going back a generation or two. So it's uh, always nice to be on board and chatting with someone else that's interested in the league. Yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll talk a bit about that passion off the top. Um, you're actually maybe a bit of a traitor to the cause because you're working for the other kind of football with the Canadian Football League, but uh, you're also well-versed in football as well, uh, doing commentary for the Ottawa Fury of the USL as well as attending La Liga games both as press and as a supporter. But um, what I found interesting was, you know, in Canada you see all kinds of supporters for both Madrid teams, uh, Barcelona as well. Um, but you don't see a lot of people who uh, wear the blue and r- white of Malaga. I guess uh, they're not technically a La Liga side right now, but good start to the Segunda this year, so hopefully they'll be back uh, sooner rather than later. How did you end up supporting them? Well, you know, it's kind of funny, Mitchell. I've always had a soft spot for the Boquerones uh, ever since they were promoted to La Liga in 2008. Uh, I was a kid. I was drawn to their their crest. I'd visited the city before. And uh, it's interesting because I'd been to a ton of Betis matches, right, in Seville. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my family down there are actually Sevilla fans, but the cousins that I'm closest to there all have Real Betis season tickets. So for me, it was kind of one or the other, but... I never really felt that draw. And then uh, April 2017, I was in Spain visiting my grandpa. Uh, I I checked out a game at La Rosaleda, which is Malaga's stadium. And uh, it was a 4-2 win for Malaga. And and it was just kind of a regular regular season. I think they finished 12th or 13th. But it was a really special night for me with my my abuelo. He's, you know, he grew up in Seville and Cadiz and that part of southern Spain, Andalusia. It was his first La Liga match since 1961, and you know he was telling me about his travels through Spain and all these incredible stories about soccer in Spain in the late 50s and early 60s and stuff. And and so for me, it, it just kind of came came natural to me. Like it was it was a, a special night in a special city. I already had an affinity for the club, and and you know I think suffering through a relegation is is something that a lot of fans identify with, and in some cases it, it'll drive certain fans away. But there are other supporters who will kind of become even closer to their club uh, after a relegation. I, I was I was in the stands as a supporter for three of Malaga's final five matches in La Liga last year, all of them losses, and uh, it was it was a sad state of affairs. But I, I still enjoyed being there in the heat of that passion uh, in the southeastern part of Spain. Well, let's start the show then by talking about a club that. Uh, isn't anywhere near relegation, but it kind of feels like they are right now, considering how people have been reacting to to the way they've started their season. Real Madrid, um, you know, the titans of Europe, past or winners of the past three Champions League, uh, but it's been a difficult run for them. They've lost one nil to Alaves on the weekend with a, a stoppage time goal from Manu Garcia. Um, 
But, you know, this wouldn't be a, a, that big of a concern if it wasn't for the rest of the results in, in recent times. Um, they lost uh, their last, or they have not won, at least in their last three. They lost 3-0 at Sevilla, uh, drew 1-1 uh, with Atleti in the Madrid Derby. And then, of course, that shock in the Champions League, losing 1-0 to CSKA in Moscow. Um, <laughs> certainly not the happiest of times at the Bernabeu right now, is it? Absolutely not. And I mean, you know, it's a poor result against Alaves. It's unacceptable for a club like that. But what's even more unacceptable is they've gone 409 minutes without a goal. Uh, I read a, a column this morning in Marca on the way into work. Marca, one of the best uh, sports papers over there, basically saying that, you know, Julian Lopetegui is waving frantically, his players are doing nothing, and that Manu Garcia with his 95th minute goal has sunk Real Madrid into, and this is a direct quote, real and absolute crisis. Now, one thing I want to point out here about, I had an issue with the hiring of Julian Lopetegui right off the hop because this is a manager who did not have success in his only previous stint with the club. He was at Porto in the Portuguese Liga Nos, which obviously I follow very closely because my dad, my dad's family is from there. We all follow it pretty religiously every year and he failed to win a single trophy in a year and a half at Porto and 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 Mitchell that is almost harder to to accomplish than actually winning a trophy because the Portuguese <laughs> league is so imbalanced all you have to do is get past one of Benfica or Sporting and typically you can win at least one trophy now Lopetegui was you know un- unceremoniously let go at Porto replaced by Rui Baruj and, and and when that whole kerfuffle went down with the world right before the World Cup this year, I kind of went, this is a really bizarre hiring. Now, he checks all the classic boxes. It's a safe bet. Former youth player, good track record with the Federation at youth levels. But did nobody watch his tenure at Porto? I mean, he didn't win anything in a season and a half. And, and so for me, I'm not that surprised because he showed at Porto and he's showing now that he might be a magician at the youth level and he might be a tactical wizard, but he just can't get the most out of players at the senior level at not, at least not right now at this point in his managerial career. I think his days are numbered at Real Madrid certainly could be in trouble uh, after the classic on October 28th. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, from all the, the reports from the Spanish papers, that is when he kind of has his uh, deadline date. He has until then to turn things around the, the El Clasico game, which is on the 28th uh, that Sunday. So uh, if things aren't turned around by then, we might um, see him, you know, on the way out. Uh, very interesting for sure. It's been a wild few months for him. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned with the, with Spain, Spain sacking him right before the World Cup and now, uh, the slowest start to a season, um, you know, for Real manager in this century, which is not the way you want to get under, you know, started with with a club like this. Uh, it sounds like the players are, are at least publicly still on his side. Uh, Nacho Fernandez saying that they're ready to follow Lopetegui until the death, which seems a uh, very dramatic considering how poorly they've done so far. Um, you know, do, how much of this is actually on the manager? Because the club itself is kind of going through a transition right now. Um, and, you know, it seems like in some ways uh, Zinedine Zidane picked a good time to, to get out of things. Yeah, I think there's there's no doubt that Zinedine Zidane's decision to leave was, was a calculated one. And I, I think that 
What we're seeing now, what's interesting to me, Mitchell, the most is that we're seeing a lot of the similar cast from last year. Players like Cruz and Casemiro that were so celebrated in last year's triumph, they're now the ones being roasted in the press and by fans. And I mean, even Luka Modric, right, who's up for the best player of the year. He, <laughs> I mean, he was the best player of the year in 2017-18. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Uh, he's suddenly being crucified in the media as well. So I think it's it's a confluence of issues. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily related to whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo's in the vicinity or whatnot. But nonetheless, uh, obvious cause for concern at Real. However, I would also put an asterisk there. Spaniards tend to be very dramatic about football, <laughs> as we know. And they are still just two points out of first place. So, you know, while everyone is manning panic stations right now... I think we have to look in the mirror, take a step back, and realize it's early days. You know, there's still another 30 games left in this in this season, and Real Madrid are, are far from their goose is far from cooked. Although Julen Lopetegui is certainly on the hot seat. Yeah, for sure. And you have to you have to think uh, at least part of this is the injury situation they've had so far this season. They've been without first choice fullbacks for a little bit now with Marcelo and maybe even more importantly Danny Carvajal. Uh, with injury, Isco as well, who's such an important player for that midfield, has been hurt. And now uh, you have Kareem Bonzema going down with injury, although he hasn't been particularly effective recently. Um, and speaking of Bonzema, that's kind of one of those players that, uh, you know, did rely on Ronaldo a lot to create opportunities for him, to create space for him. Um, we've seen the team kind of, you know, there was some talk maybe that the team could actually improve without Ronaldo because he's such a, a focal point. He takes so many of the shots. He he demands so much, uh, you know, so much attention for the entire game. And perhaps players like Gareth Bale would be able to step up. But we haven't really seen that so far from this team. Do you think it's kind of a perhaps a depth issue, or um, do, do they just need to bring in some some new attacking players here? Well, I think it, it it comes down to a bit of an identity issue, right? I mean, this is a club that for the last five, six, seven years has been defined by one talismanic generational talent. You know, in 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 much the same way Barcelona has been defined by Lionel Messi. Although I would even argue that Messi had a better supporting cast over this last generation of players than Ronaldo did. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's a club that's at a crossroads and yet Real Madrid is such a large club. It can't afford to be at a crossroads. It, whereas any other club, you know, a Sevilla or a Valencia or what have you, athletic Bilbao had this happen to them a couple years ago where they'll take a season or two to kind of reflect, regroup, regenerate, maybe have a new presidential election, uh, within the club's hierarchy, uh, in the case of Real Madrid, it's such a large club that the expectations are so heightened, the stakes are so financially large that they can't afford to have that kind of brooding, waiting period trying to figure out their identity. Lopetegui, new manager, old squad, and really, I, I think what we're seeing here is 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 a team that's lacking identity right now. I mean, it's really difficult for me to see. Now, granted, Zinedine Zidane had a couple of poor results in the league in the last number of years. Champions League was their focus and whatnot. But that 1-0 loss against Alaves on the weekend was extremely devastating to the Real Madrid psyche, Mitchell, because they didn't look good. It was a mm. choppy game, and they never looked fluid. And And two months into a season, three and a half months after you opened preseason, that's a real concern. 
irrespective of whether or not you have a new manager. As you mentioned, though, of course, they are just two points off the top, which seems pretty wild considering they've already lost two games through the first uh, eight match days, uh, which kind of speaks to just how wild the season's been in La Liga and uh, exciting as well. Some crazy stats. Only two points separate the entire top six, which is unbelievable. And no team has gone undefeated yet in the league, but also no team at the bottom has gone winless. Um, and, and as I mentioned, we're only eight match days in. So it's pretty fair to say, I think, at this point that um, this is the most exciting league in Europe right now. And at the moment, it's not particularly close. No, I, I, I would completely agree with you. And, and I, for one, am, am firmly on the side of, and, and again, I'm, I'm 100% biased based on my family background here, but I do <laughs> genuinely believe that La Liga is the best league in terms of technical ability, in terms of creativity, talent on the ball in the world. That is my opinion. I think the English Premier League is the most competitive in terms of Team 20 can upset you know the the top table team any day of the week uh, at home especially but I think the overall skill level is significantly higher in La Liga the English Premier League is 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 just you know it's such a a global brand and so hyped and so marketed that uh, especially I find people on this side of the Atlantic uh, oftentimes fail to give credit where credit is due to other leagues you know the Spanish La Liga the German Bundesliga and even even Liga Nos in Portugal a lot of the best players in the world that are playing for clubs in England and Spain come from places like Portugal France you know maybe a second division a South American league via Portugal or Holland or one of those secondary leagues and for whatever reason people in North America here oftentimes just don't look past the Premier League and Champions League, and it's a real shame. Well, if you do look at Champions League as well, and even the Europa League, you will see that there has been a lot of Spanish success recently. One of those clubs who has had a ton of success, especially in the Europa League, is Sevilla. They currently sit at the top of the table with with the fact that uh, some of the regular suspects are are struggling a little bit. Um, The results kind of speak for themselves. Of course, notably that 3-0 win over Real that we mentioned earlier. Um, but how do you see them kind of comparing to those top teams right now, considering, you know, they, apparently I've read the stat that they were on 16 points at this stage last year and they were on four or they were fourth in the league. So uh, is it just the chaos that they sit at the top of the table or do you think they'll give the, the Madrids and, and Barca a bit of a push this season? I think they'll be good to give them a push. And, and personally, I think this competitive start to La Liga is, is fantastic. You know, Sevilla's enjoying... Uh, a real renaissance. Uh, I was there actually at the tail end of last year. I saw a game at the Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan Stadium. Beautiful facility, undergoing extensive renovations, and 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 a couple of buddies and I saw them beat Real Sociedad one nothing at home. Now, we, you know, we talk about those clubs that are kind of in flux, trying to rediscover their identity. Now, at the end of the of the Italian experiment in Sevilla, towards the end of last season, let's say March April. Uh, when I believe it was Vincenzo Montella left, it was a club that was in a bit of disarray. They were scrapping. They were they were on the outside looking in in the in the European picture. And and Jorge Caparros, bless his energetic soul, uh, renew, rejuvenated that club in the month he was there at the end of last season. He snuck him into Europe, and uh, you know they've brought in some excellent reinforcements. I gotta say, it is no surprise to me to see Andre Silva succeeding as well. You know, good track record. His game, I think is more suited to Spain than it was necessarily to Italy. 
and really, I'm just I I'm so happy to see Sevilla once again be kind of that that jewel that that genuine competitive team, a contender uh, in in the province of Andalusia because it's a province that has had its fair share of lumps in the last couple of years. In fact, uh, when I was there in April and May, you know, during the towards the end of the season last year, there were people that were beginning to call the Segunda División in Spain uh, the División Andaluz, right? The Andalusian division because there were, you know, Malaga had been relegated. You had Sevilla's B team down there, Cadiz down there. Uh, you know, tons of these formerly solid clubs uh, that were that were all trending towards Segunda. So for me, I really enjoy seeing the likes of Sevilla, Real Betis, and all those clubs uh, competing on the national stage in La Liga because it's a province that is often looked over within the country. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Andre Silva and how well he's done this season, and that's another thing that kind of uh, has been surprising. Obviously, again, in that sense, it's a little more early, but um, we've seen some of those players that you know it's been pretty, you know, in the past couple of years, we've it's been pretty predictable at the top of of the La Liga, you know, scoring charts. It's been Messi, it's been Ronaldo, sometimes Suarez, so or Neymar sprinkled in there, guys like that. But if you look at the top this year, it, it's Silva and Christian Suani of Girona, who's had an absolutely fantastic start to the season. Uh, he became the first player to score a brace against both Real Madrid and Barcelona in La Liga in a calendar year. Um, so very impressive stuff from the 31-year-old and some of some of these other players from clubs that aren't, you know, again, the two Madrids and and uh, and Barcelona are standing up and, and making a good account for themselves early in uh, in this season. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and, and personally, I love Christian Stuani. I love what Girona is doing there. Uh, they know their limits and they stay within it. They don't they don't try and they're not trying to be something they're not. And they're having success in in you know, retaining themselves within their, their abilities based on their budget and whatnot. And the thing I love about Christian Stuani is that even dating back to his days at, you know, Racing Santander when he was on loan there and, and at Espanyol, I mean, he was scoring, he was he was good for 8-10 goals a season at Espanyol as well. You know, he had a three-year stint there, went to Middlesbrough, didn't have as much success in the lower leagues in England, which I think could kind of, you could see that coming. But uh He's a consistently hard worker, and he's always done more than just score. So I'm I'm really really happy to see him having success at Girona. Now, from the league perspective as a whole, you look at clubs like Espanyol, Deportivo Alavés, who I saw pump Malaga three 0 last year in a beautiful sunny day at La Rosaleda. Uh, all the fans were chanting towards the director's box. It was a pretty ugly scene, but Alavés put on a a master class and. And Valladolid as well, all off to excellent starts. Much, much better than than what we're typically accustomed to seeing from those clubs. Now, one of those three teams that I, if I, I would tell people to keep an eye on is, is Alaves. Now, they defend extremely well. And I really, really like what uh, Abelardo, former Barcelona center back as well, has done there. They're very disciplined. And again, similar to a Girona, they aren't trying to be something they're not. They know when to play with the ball, they know when to be attacking, and then against a, a side like Real Madrid, they shut it down in the midfield, they take their opportunity, and, uh, you know, honestly, I couldn't be happier for those mid-table teams that are finding success earlier in the year. Yeah, and let's look quickly at the, the results for match day eight uh, in La Liga. Uh, Real Sociedad were 3-1 winners over Athletic Bilbao. 
Uh, Ibar top Girona 3-2. Levante defeat 10-man Getafe 1-0. Alaves, of course, we talk, talked about shock Real Madrid 1-0. Leganes beat 10-man uh, Vallecano 1-0. Uh, Valladolid uh, top Huesca 1-0 Atletico uh, were winners over Real Betis 1-0 Espanyol defeated Villarreal 3-1 table topping Sevilla down 10-man Celta Vigo 2-1 and then finally Valencia and Barcelona drew 1-1 and I, I think if we weren't talking about Real at the moment I think we'd be talking maybe a bit more about Barcelona um, although Perhaps their European campaign has, has, of course, been a little better than Real, so that's kind of why they've escaped uh, maybe the more negative headlines lately. But it hasn't been the best start to the season for them either. And uh, they've been allowing uh, goals at, at a rate we haven't seen them in the past. I mean, among the top eight teams in La Liga right now, they've allowed the most with nine. Uh, but it's and especially those early goals that have kind of, uh, you know, made them struggle recently, especially again, we saw this weekend against Valencia. They allowed that early goal. Um, what's been the issue for, for Barcelona this year? Because well, last year, obviously, we saw them almost run the table in La Liga. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a confluence of things. Uh, you know, the offense is, is is hit and miss right now, and I think we're seeing that with, with Real Madrid as well. Um, but overall, I don't think their defensive issues are necessarily an issue overall. Yeah, they've had two draws against, uh, you know, traditional powerhouses that are struggling in Athletic Bilbao and, and, and Valencia, but... I don't know if you can blame 1-1 draws on the defense. Now, granted, Piquet's had a had a tough, tough start to the season, but I figure, you know, he's a veteran. He's going to sort it out. Uh, I believe he retired from international play, and, and, and you know, he'll he'll take it. It's early days. It's early days. And 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 there are a couple of other factors at play with Barcelona that I that I think bear mentioning, and that, one is that they've lost a talisman, right, in, in Andres Iniesta, and, mm. and two is, I think it bears mentioning as well, Arturo Vidal, right? This is a last-minute signing that they bring in in Ernesto Valverde's camp to replace Paulinho, and Vidal's pissed. He is not happy <laughs> that he is, you know, right now second, third string in that midfield. Um, some players are not worth the headaches, in my opinion, Mitchell, and I think Ernesto Valverde is quickly finding out that the return on Arturo Vidal might not equal... Uh, some of the headaches that he might be bringing. Now, that's not to say that there's a locker room controversy or anything in Barcelona. Far from it. They have a lot of veteran leaders that have been there, that have won not domestic and continental titles. But I think, again, we're seeing with Barcelona, similar to Real Madrid, there is still a little bit of that, hmm, maybe we don't have the same identity, right? And 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 beginning to move on from certain players and and I think at Barcelona more than a defensive issue it's it's just a it's a mentality it's a finding this season's identity and and uh and it's it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly Real Madrid and Barcelona sort out those identity issues because once they do we've seen both of these clubs in the last well however many years certainly the last five five six years player cycle in La Liga uh, go out and just boss the league. Now, obviously, that's not happening right now this year, but I do still think that they clearly have the two best squads on paper, and uh, I, I certainly think Barcelona is going to sort out their issues. And I, I wouldn't even necessarily call their disappointing start uh, a defensive issue. I think it's, I think it's more again just the identity. Fair enough. Yeah, and I, I always found that Vidal signing to be a little bizarre because. 
uh, you talk about identity. He just never seemed to fit the Barcelona identity for me. I know he has, uh, you know, abilities at the top level and he's played with a lot of big clubs, but uh, he just seemed like a bizarre signing to me. Whereas we've seen a guy like Arthur, uh, who, you know, is a little more like of like the, you know, the players that come out of La Masia in the past couple of years. And a lot of the Barcelona players have said as much. They, they, they see this guy as someone who, um, really fits their system and, and uh, I mean there's been the comparisons to Xavi which I think maybe slow down a little bit but what have you made of him so far because uh, he seems to be fitting in uh, really well on this club yeah absolutely and 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 you know it's interesting when when we talk about when we talk about these players that come over from South America you know for everyone that succeeds there are dozens that don't, and I'm talking not just the ones in the Portuguese mid-table club, but I'm talking even a lot of the the prospects that are signed and brought up uh, at clubs like Barcelona and company, right? Now, now in the case of Artur, they knew what they were getting somewhat, and I say somewhat because he came from Grêmio, he'd been playing at a good club in Brazil, but nobody had seen him in a European continental competition. Nobody had seen him week in, week out going against, you know, the top 50 clubs in Europe, mostly the top 50 clubs in Europe. And I think what's impressed me the most about him is how physically he's been able to make that jump because I know La Liga is not seen as physical in regards to the EPL or the Bundesliga or even some of the teams you'll face in Champions League, but relative to the game as it's played in South America, defenders and and, and just tackles in general get away with a lot more in La Liga than they do in South America. So for me, seeing Artur, who in a lot of ways is an undersized player, come in and deal with the physicality of of a top level club and a top and top level competitions in Europe, seeing him come into Barcelona and be able to handle that, even though it might not necessarily be his game, I think that's that's what's really impressed me uh, early in his career at Barcelona. Uh, before we move on from Barcelona, as I said, uh, we'll put a Canadian angle on this. And uh, Cirque du Soleil, which is a Canadian uh, kind of acrobatics and show performance company out of Montreal, are apparently launching a show based on Lionel Messi and his career, which will be very interesting. Um, I'm not sure entirely what this will look like. There hasn't been full details that have come out yet, but if we get to see kind of a leotard wearing impression of, of Leo Suarez or of Luis Suarez, rather, uh, this this will be cool for me. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, Let's move on to the other Madrid that you know we've been talking about, kind of the top clubs in the league right now. And uh, Atletico, they they kind of started the season the inverse of of Barcelona and Madrid. Uh, right off the top, it, it looked like they were having a tough time. Um, you know, they dropped points at, at Valencia to open the season, and they lost to Celta, and then they drew Ibar in their first four. So uh, there was kind of concern right out the gate, and especially with the expectations for this team this season after being able to keep Antoine Griezmann and. Uh, uh, you know, bringing in Thomas Lamar, there was expectations for this club, but um, they haven't lost since in all competitions, including that solid nil-nil draw at the Bernabeu. Um, and uh, you kind of expect this, but uh, a league least four goals conceded for them. What do you make of Atleti this season as they, uh, you know, again kind of push into that top group? Well, I think you're you're seeing the classic El Cholo, right? And and Diego Simeone is, has become a cult figure at Atletico Madrid based on what we're seeing from Atleti early in this 2018-19 campaign, Mitchell. And that's simple. It's it's grinding team mentality football, 
be disciplined, be defensive, take your opportunities when they come. And in a way, it's turning water into wine. And this is something that I think a lot of people take for granted around La Liga and around Europe is that every year you know you're going to see Atletico Madrid in the Champions League quarterfinals, semifinals, and, and, or, or at the very least a European semifinal, right, uh, as was the case last year. But, but you know, it's, it's turning water into wine in the respect that he has found a way to turn Atletico Madrid, which was traditionally, I mean, granted they had a, a great run of success in the 90s with, with, uh, at, the, at the Vicente Calderon and all that, but he has managed to turn this club into a perennial contender up against economic giants in Barcelona and Real Madrid that are able to go out, and especially in the case of the Galacticos at the Bernabeu across town, buy what they want. And Atletico Madrid does not have that luxury. Now, of course, that's changing. They open the Wanda Metropolitano Stadium. They're, you know, obviously attendance is larger. Financial windfall is bigger because of their deep runs in Europe every year. But he is turning water into wine. He has redefined what it means to be Atleti. And and that is incredible. And, and, and again, we're seeing it this year. One goal against in their last four outings, including that uh, impressive nil-nil draw at the Bernabeu you mentioned. This is the best defensive team in Europe right now, and I know I know they're not they're not top of the table right now, <laughs> but they're within sniffing distance, Mitchell. And honestly, if they can continue to defend this way, and 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 I think the biggest thing is they have an identity, and that and Sevilla has an identity right now. The big boys do not. There are a lot of clubs in Spain that are struggling with that identity, whether it's. Barcelona and Real Madrid at the top or you know you look at Athletic Bilbao just lost the Basque Derby 3-1 at home to a team of mm-hmm. academy products in Sociedad so there are a couple of teams in La Liga that are struggling with identity and I think part of the reason that Atleti's performances this year have been so impressive is that they have that identity they they have that continuity year on year and uh, and have a really special vibe around that club right now. Yeah, and it's a comparison that's been made plenty in uh, international soccer, but they remind me a lot of France and, and just their ability to play that four four two system and um, just the defensive ability that they have and, and the buy-in that they, they're able to get from all their players to play that defensive-style game. And obviously France did uh, pretty well for themselves this summer, so I, I'd imagine both in Europe and, uh, again, in La Liga, they're going to provide a lot of uh, tough games for opponents this season so uh definitely atleti will be a team we'll be watching on this podcast throughout the year CanCon back to the canadian content uh that we mentioned we bring up on this show um there is one canadian player playing in and around la liga uh this season he's not playing in the top league he's on barcelona's b team uh but balu tabla has declared himself uh as a canadian international he was choosing in between canada and the ivory coast for his international future and he's been called up for canada for the first time at the senior level to play against dominica uh for their CONCACAF versions of the Nations League game on October 16th. Uh, there's only ever been one Canadian player who's ever played in La Liga, and that's Julian de Guzman, who played uh, for Deportivo La Coruña um, back in the the early 2000s. I, I guess you can kind of count his brother Jonathan as well, who played for Mallorca and uh, Villarreal, but uh, he chose to play for the Netherlands internationally, so uh, we can't fully claim him. But uh, Balou looking to become the, the second Canadian to appear in, in La Liga, but uh, more presently, a uh, big call-up for Canada, and this kind of comes at an exciting time for the Canadian men's national team, doesn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. And any time that you can get a member of the Barcelona or any any internationally renowned club uh, set up into your national team program, it's a win. It's a win for John Herdman. It's a win for the Canadian Soccer Association. And and I think this represents the, the dawn of a new era for Canadian soccer in that the, we're seeing a genuine effort to cap-tie these, these younger stud talents that might actually maybe in the future have a shot at playing for a more established football power uh but in this case we're seeing balutabla choose canada and that and that i think is the first time in a long time that a player of this caliber maybe ever has has selected canada over over another option with you know obviously a larger international pedigree but Hmm. it's interesting though looking at tabla's path the last you know 12 18 months he was part of barcelona's preseason tour and and by all accounts he's progressed pretty well uh but it's interesting you know thinking back to when he missed training with the impact uh trying to force a move to europe uh i'm sure that when when you know he and his agent were going through those steps they probably didn't have away days against clubs like Sabadell and Alcoyano in mind in the spanish segunda division right uh that's where he is right now you know, and 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 as much as it's a great get for the Canadian national team, one that will definitely impact its starting eleven for probably the next decade, if not more. Uh, I think it is it is important to show a little bit of restraint here, and that it's really easy to imagine the what ifs and and the fact that he's got this you know incredible release clause in excess. I think it was I think I read it was. 75 million i could be wrong but Sheesh. but uh in in terms of his fit at barcelona who knows because there have been so many players that have been hyped in that kind of 16 to 19 20 age group that just don't come to fruition right and and so i think he will be an excellent player for the canadian men's national team he he will already be an excellent player for the canadian men's national team but i think we have to be realistic in terms of he might never make it into that Barcelona first team, but it's going to be really entertaining uh, to watch his journey unfold from this side of the sea. Yeah, it absolutely will. And uh, as you said, exciting times for for the game in this country. Um, let's move on to, to more international soccer talk with um, usually this will be our La Liga game of the week segment, but obviously it's the international break. So uh, we don't have La Liga games to preview this week. So we figured we'd go and pick a couple of, of international matches that um, La Liga players were were involved in. So I've picked one that actually only uh, probably will have two La Liga players in, but it's such a good match that I had to pick it regardless. And that's uh, Croatia-England, which takes place on Friday in the Nations League. And actually a pretty important game for for Croatia all of a sudden considering uh, the, the tough start they had getting pelted by Spain so they'll need to turn things around after you know that incredible run this summer at the World Cup that kind of put them near the top of the international soccer world um, as I mentioned two La Liga players will be involved in this match probably uh, Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic of Croatia they've been such fixtures in that Croatian midfield but uh, as well of course Real Loni uh, Mateo Kovacic um, we'll 
could feature as well. I think that uh, Real Madrid maybe could have used him this season, but um, you know, the, the, certainly a player that that has all kinds of quality. And, and what a match that will be! England as well have have a pretty exciting young side that um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching. Jaden Sancho has been absolutely fantastic um, at Borussia Dortmund this season, and uh, James Madison is another guy who, uh, for my boys Leicester, uh, has been great this season. So just a very interesting match there, and obviously two clubs that are two uh, international sides rather that are very much trending upwards uh, Carlos what's what's your game of the game of the week well I, I've gone a little bit Homer uh, towards the national team <laughs> that you know I follow but tomorrow Thursday Poland Portugal in the Nations League I think that's going to be a, a really entertaining matchup and 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 one that I'm not sure how many of these Portuguese players are going to get into the lineup again it depends on what Fernando Santos wants to do with his lineup but in the 25-man squad, you've got a number of La Liga-tied players as well as one who has been linked to a move to Spain. So two men up front that are going to be really familiar to La Liga fans, and I guarantee at least one of them is going to get on the field because without Cristiano Ronaldo in the squad, these are two of their best options. Obviously, Sevilla's Andre Silva, and then Valencia's Gonzalo Guedes. Now, Guedes is a player that has shown incredible flashes, did it at the youth level, but somehow, someway just hasn't, necessarily established himself at the next level um and then you've got kevin rodriguez he's a french-born defender who's come up through real sociedad he likely won't feature but an interesting tie-in to la liga there gonna be curious to see if he can stay in the squad moving forward uh, obviously you've got betis midfielder william carvalho who has featured extensively for the national team and will continue uh to be a mainstay likely in that midfield um, and then, though he's unlikely to play, this is the player that I'm really interested in watching going forward as career unfold is, is Claudio Ramos. Now, this is a Portuguese goalkeeper. He belongs to, he's, he's property of Tundela right now, which is not, not an elite team by any stretch. This is a team that had a miracle escape from the relegation zone a couple years ago. Uh, but he has spent the last five, six seasons there, and he has been linked with a move to Spain. He's had a phenomenal phenomenal season he's earned the right to be in the squad and I think it's going to be really really interesting to see what happens moving forward because he is a goalkeeper that is significantly better than where he's at right now which is a at best lower mid-table Portuguese league team it's going to be really really interesting to see if there's any takers and maybe maybe it's not in La Liga maybe it's in the maybe it's like a Malaga although they're set in goal right now but Maybe it's one of those higher-end promotion-pushing Segunda División teams that's going to allow him to make the jump to, to Spain. But he's, he's certainly drawing interest from what I've heard uh, across the border in the Iberian Peninsula. Well, sounds great. I'll definitely be tuning in for that match tomorrow. Um, and that brings us to the end of our first edition of this show. Uh, thanks for joining the show, Carlos. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Mitchell, thanks for having me, man. And uh, all the best. Looking forward to more great Spanish soccer going forward. Yeah, for sure. If the if the you know following chapters are as good as the first one in this La Liga season, we'll have plenty to talk about on this show uh, as it continues. Uh, thanks to the rest of you for listening. As we mentioned before, uh, it's the international break this week, but we'll still be back next week to look ahead to match day nine as well as the Spanish clubs in Europe. Plenty of intrigue there as well. Um, until then, enjoy some national team football. <laughs>